from the book of Lamentations. Do you know what Lamentations means? It means being really sad and mourning. And it's a whole book of it. And this is quite a sad, sad passage. So listen out for what the person who's written this is complaining about. And so that we listen a bit better, we're going to stop ourselves in between by singing the Kyrie. So let me read it to you. This is from Lamentations chapter 3. Oh, just to warn you, at the very end, there is a happy passage. And after that, we'll sing an Alleluia. I am one who has seen affliction under the rod of God's wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Against me alone, he turns his hand again and again all day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away and broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me sit in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He's put heavy chains on me. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with hewn stones. He has made my paths crooked. a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He led me off my way and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a mark for his arrow. He shot into my vittles, the arrows of his quiver. He, I have become the laughing stock of all my people. The object of their torn songs all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. So I say, gone is my glory and all that I had hoped for from the Lord. Christ, 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 Christ,
The thought of my affliction and my homelessness is wormwood and gall. My soul continually thinks of it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Alleluia, 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 alleluia. May the words of my mouth and all our thoughts and reflections be acceptable to the Lord our God. Amen. So Christmas is almost upon us, or at least Advent. But boy, I don't know about you. Every year, the time in Advent seems to go faster. Do you find that? It's rushing by, and this year I feel decidedly cheated. There's one whole week missing, because the 4th of Advent is the same day as Christmas. Well, watch nights anyway. How can I get everything done? This is me moaning. Do you hear it? A few years ago, a little girl in Orkney had just received her gift from Santa who had visited the Sunday school. And she was in floods of tears. And she'd had a lovely time until then. So I went to her and said, what's the matter with you? How does Santa not know that I hate pig? She was lamenting, wasn't she? Because life can be tough in big things and tiny little things. And it changes throughout a lifetime, thank goodness. Then we moan. And most people, kind of when we meet some folks, we start a good moan. And that's a healthy thing, you could say. Because if we just go on through life and swallow our discontent... If we let people trample on us or others and say or do nothing about it, it could easily happen that we become quite bitter within ourselves. And some situations are really hard to take. When we do our best all day long and every year, and it never gets noticed. When we feel unrewarded, overlooked or forgotten or when our rights are keeping being ignored or overruled by someone refusing to be just not even noticing sometimes that it's not fair then we have every reason to mourn and the temptation is to become bitter but don't Becoming bitter is not good for us or for others. Once we've become bitter, it's as if our hearts and minds become lame and deadened. Martin Luther King, 
famous preacher, said, It is hardly possible to build anything if frustration, bitterness, and a mood of helplessness prevails. Bitterness and resentment only hurt one person, and it's not the person we are resenting. It's us. Never succumb to temptation of bitterness, said Martin Luther King. In the German language, which I know quite well, there is an expression which translates as turning your heart into a murderous pit. Now, isn't that graphic? Sein Herz, mein Herz wird eine Mördergrube. My heart becomes a murderous pit. It's drastic, isn't it? And if it's really bad, it could happen. But who wants to live with a murderous pit at the core of themselves? When we allow bitterness to take hold of hearts and minds, it's endangering our lives. The fullness of life can't happen that way. We may harbor a justified resentment against someone or against a situation. There may indeed be injustice which has to be dealt with. We may have every right to be angry. But if we become bitter, it's not the person who's grieved us. It's not the situation that we're changing, which is unfair. It will only affect ourselves and make us tight and just angry and bitter and gray. And this is why it says in the letter to the Hebrews, pursue in chapter 12, if you want to look it up, beginning at verse 14, pursue peace with everyone and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and through it many become defiled. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. David told me that at the moment you are preparing the way by letting things go in the thinking about letting things go in the Advent sermons. And he told me it was all about bitterness. And I thought, phew, talk to the children about that. So I just had to put the gospel in and be a little bit positive at the end of the Lamentations, which it does. It doesn't stay with the bitterness. After the worst of things that could happen to people, it ends in a praise of God. So let go of bitterness But how do we do it? And let me make a few points of how to do that and what to remember if we try and let go of bitterness. The first thing to remember is that God does not want us to become doormats. God does not want us to be doormats. Jesus knew that his friends would suffer and would have to face difficult times in his mission. 
because it's a tough world we live in. God created it, yes, and he made it so fantastic and so so varied and variety is part of his creation and therefore things can go wrong. And we have so much freedom. We have to choose and make positive choices the whole time. So it's easy to go the wrong way. But Jesus knew that. He knew that he was sending his friends to tell of God and his love and that that would not always be received very well. So he does say, when people don't want to hear of God's love, leave it. Don't get upset about it. Leave it and walk away. In the worst of cases, shake the dust of your shoes. Remember? But then he also said, resist abuse. Resist not with violence, but non-violently. Remember? Turn the other cheek. Turn the other cheek is sometimes regarded as an encouragement for Christians to become doormats. Not so. Turn the other cheek is an activity. Because if you've been hit and then you have to turn the other cheek, you believe in what you've just said or done. You're prepared to stand up again and turn the other cheek, possibly getting struck again. I think Jesus was thinking of the situation of a master and a slave. And the master was allowed to hit at will if he was feeling that the slave had not done the right thing. So it sometimes went flack. And then if the, if, if he was still upright, he got the other hand in response. Turn the other cheek. Don't become doormats. Secondly, anger is natural and is sometimes good. Anger is an alarm bell that something is not right. The question, though, is what do we do with our anger? Do we let the red mist come down and lose control? Or do we say, I'm angry. Why am I angry? And what am I going to do about it? Ignore and suppress the anger is no good. That just lets things slide and things happen again and again. And it could make us bitter. If we stuff enough anger inside us, there will come a time when things explode. And then we nowadays, the modern world calls it mental health sometimes. It's sometimes years of experiences that have been stuffed down and people haven't been given the words or the safe space to express their pain and their anger. And it just explodes much better to talk and to lament. And that's my third point, talk. Talk first of all to God in prayer. Don't be polite. Say as it is. Don't hold back. You may know that a third of the Psalms are laments. I had forgotten that. It's quite a lot, isn't it? A third of the Psalms are laments, people complaining bitterly about their situation. And they don't hold back. And some of the Psalms we don't read in church because it's horrific. 
We, do, we don't really want it to happen, but that's the feelings that come out of the pit of a murderous heart. I mean, a murderous pit of a heart. Sorry. <laughs> you know, it can get that bad that it needs out and it needs to be said. It doesn't need to be done. It mustn't be done. Jesus himself died on the cross with a lament. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Talk fourthly also to your friends, trusted people, your partner, husband, wife. Let the steam out. And then together, find a way, way forward, if possible. Often something can be done, and something needs to be done. God invites us to tell of his love, yes, but more so. He wants us to live it. And when we're angry, we can't do that. We first need to deal with the anger before we can love someone who is really awkward. Somebody said, you don't have to like them, but you have to love them. But you need to deal with the anger first. So there are times when we need to protest, when we need to call people, to call on people to resist in words or actions and say, no, this is not right. Let's change this. This is better. Sometimes we need to tell governments or institutions or administrations to change things because somebody is left out. Something is unjust. And it's worked in the past. It was committed Christians who spoke up against slavery. It took long enough. And even once it was decreed to be unlawful, well, it still happened. The, the, the selling of slaves was unlawful. And then it still happened that, that slavery was allowed until, was it 30 years later? And it's not as if slavery has disappeared in this country either, or in the world. There are plenty of situations where people are kept in slave-like conditions, aren't there? It was committed Christians who opened the first hospitals in the Middle Ages and took care of the sick, suffering, and the needy until governments cottoned on, and now it's delegated from churches to the state. It was also churches who founded the first Sunday schools. That's why it's called Sunday school, because it was a free school where even the poorest children could learn to read the Bible, because that's the book we had. A basic education was provided until it was became the state's responsibility. So you could say that biblical laments are actually protest songs. They shout from the rooftops that something is wrong and needs changing. They resist the way things are and that things have to change. Laments are the opposite to fatalism and resignation. And there are even some laments which blame God for it all. Is God blind? Is God deaf? Does he not hear or not care? 
These songs and thoughts and feelings are at the heart of many spirituals which we love and sometimes they just express the desperation within us. They cheered many slaves who were almost despairing but didn't because they knew about lamenting. They knew about faith winning the upper hand in the end. So, my last point, keep the faith, for God is good. The laments in the Bible, like the one we read together today, suddenly change and speak of hope and of faith. Biblical laments are calling us to faithful living and prayer. After letting rip of terrible trouble, we recall that God is faithful that there is hope for those who keep on keeping on in faith. Laments are not idle moans, but spring from a deep relationship with the living God. They are hopeful of a better world, which is God's will, springing from the better, the very nature of God. I looked up the word wormwood, wasn't in my English book. And like, it said like, where is it? Here, it said, common wormwood, Artemisia absinthium, is a perennial herb used in the alcoholic beverages absinthe and vermouth. So there. The bitter tasting plant has been used for centuries for medicinal purposes, to reduce pain and swelling and to treat digestion problems, intestinal worms and skin infections. And that's why it's called wormwood. Interesting, isn't it? When life is just one bitter experience, like drinking bitter medicine the whole time, it's hard. And when we watch the news at the moment, it's hard. And we are only watching it. Poor people in Gaza, poor families who are worrying for their hostage family members. Becoming bitter is a real option there. But that's there's a difficult truth there as well. Sometimes... It is only in the worst of times that we humans learn, learn the best of faith. And then there's the other thing. What if our lamenting, our talking to God and each other, just doesn't seem to help? Nothing changes. All campaigns are ignored. It can happen. Then I think we have only one option. We have to place our lamenting and our sorrows and our pain at God's feet. We have to forgive. Give it up. And walk away. Not a walking away from God, but walking away sometimes from people or from situations. Sometimes human relationships can become so toxic that only space between us will bring peace for all involved. 
And sometimes that's the right thing to do. To let God's Spirit heal the hearts and minds of individuals apart from each other. Loving the enemy can mean praying for them from a distance, not insisting on shaking hands, because that sometimes is just not possible. That's what may happen later, as it did with the German Chancellor Willy Brandt. He went to visit Poland, and all of a sudden, when he was visiting the memorial of the Warsaw Ghetto in 1970, he suddenly knelt down. Many years after the uprising of Polish and Jewish people there in 1943, he wrote in his memoirs, faced with the abyss of German history and the burden of the millions who had been murdered, I did what we humans do when words fail us. He went down on his knees like a sinner. He prayed that Germans might be forgiven. Willy Brandt was a social democrat who had been part of the resistance against the Nazis and was praying for forgiveness for his people. Was the gesture planned? No, it was not, insisted Willy Brandt. My close aides were no less surprised than the reporters and photographers who, who were standing right next to me. The Polish government was also taken by surprise, says Krzysztof Ruchniewicz, professor of histo history at the University of Wroclaw. He said, until then it had always been the evil Germans. They were seen as revanchists and warmongers. And then there was suddenly a German chancellor who knelt down signaling an openness to atonement. Poland's government understood the gesture as a step towards reconciliation. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make his path straight. This was John the Baptizer's role and his call to the people of his time. And many heard him, followed him, and then followed Jesus later on. In Advent, this is also God's call to us. Let go what hinders our relationship with God. Let go bitterness and be filled with God's light and love then Christ will come into our hearts and minds and fill us with joy and guide us all the way. Amen.